Eight Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. for joining us on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Dave Canales looks to be the new head coach of your Carolina Panthers. If you want to send us your thoughts, comments, opinions, worries, whatever you want to send in, you can do it at 704-570-9610. That's the number for the text line, 704-570-9610. So here's what people are asking about the most. People are asking for him to bring over Mike Evans. That's a popular text that we're getting on the text line. And another question we need to ask is if Dave Canales is going to be the play caller. Because when we talked about other candidates like Brian Callahan or Frank Smith, those guys weren't calling plays for those teams. And so maybe they would divvy out that responsibility so they could focus on all the other responsibilities that come along with being the head coach of an NFL franchise. This is Dave Canales being in the NFL for a very long time, since 2010. He came into the Seattle Seahawks organization alongside Pete Carroll and alongside Dan Morgan, who was just named the general manager and president of football operations for Carolina a few days ago. So having that connection allows this to make all of the sense in the world. It's why we led yesterday's show with is Dave Canales the favorite to land this job? The Mike Vrabel interview led us astray a little bit. It put us off the scent. But now we're back on it, as it's clearly being reported. He's going to be the next head coach. And so it all makes sense here. The question is, do you want him to call plays? Do you not want him to call plays? For me, Wes, if we want to focus on that, while plenty of other questions arise from this hire, I would tell you that I do want him to be in charge of the offense. Because Dave Canales isn't going anywhere unless he does an awful job and then he gets fired. And I don't want him to divvy out that responsibility to a different offensive coordinator only for him to get a better job if he does a good job here in Carolina. Gets another head coaching title somewhere. Even if you have stability of Canales being your head coach, I would like him to be the play caller. You all know why else? It's because he did a good job with Tampa as the play caller. Yeah. And if that is part of the appeal to why you hired him as the next head coach, then why would you get rid of one of the more attractive things about him as how he showcased that in Tampa Bay? So I do think that he's going to control the offense, not only from a game planning standpoint, but I do think he's going to be the one pulling the trigger on game day on what plays you are going to go with in certain situations. Yeah, I think he could, and I think he should uh, when you look at what he did, because I see a lot of people on the text line saying, oh, you know, you guys are saying that this is a great hire because he revitalized Baker. And, like, I don't get it. I don't understand. They took a guy. None of y'all thought that this guy was going to have the numbers that he had this season. Not only that, win a playoff game. Not only that, go to Detroit and battle Detroit all the way down to the wire uh, in this football game or in that football game. So, 
he called a great offensive game plan, even though Detroit's defense, I mean, granted, it isn't the greatest defense in the world. But still, like I said, when you look at the way that he was calling the plays, what this Tampa Bay offense did, nobody thought. We thought before the beginning of the season that this Tampa Bay team was going to be a cellar dweller in the NFC South this year. We thought with Baker and Kyle Trask that this team was going nowhere fast. And they went to the playoffs, they won the division, and they won a playoff game. So for those of you out there who are skeptical of the hire, I'm not saying the guy's Bill Walsh or somebody like that, but goodness gracious, I mean, Tampa overachieved this year. He was one of the big reasons why, and I think that that has to count for something. Totally agree with that. We can go to the text line, 704-570-9610. There are a lot of texts rolling in. People are happy, I think, mostly about this hire. This became a pretty top option for us, Wes, I think when we started to rank some of the guys that we were most interested in, if Mike Vrabel could have been that higher, then I would have been understanding. Mike Vrabel, somebody that did set that culture with the Tennessee Titans. He did have playoff success. You do get to an AFC championship game. So short of a Super Bowl and a championship, Mike Vrabel experienced the next level of success that you could get. And it's something far and away from what Carolina had experienced under David Tepper to this point in his ownership tenure. So if Vrabel was that guy, even if he wasn't the offensive mind that I have been clamoring for this entire process, I would have been happy with Mike Vrabel as that hire. But he's not, as Dave Canales comes in. Now we can focus on some of the other offensive names. Ben Johnson was the top target for David Tepper last year. Ben Johnson also could not have another interview with David Tepper because the rules in the NFL are that you got to be solely focused on conference championship weekend and anything else, that's a distraction. We know that teams don't like those distractions. And so Ben Johnson, while the Ravens coordinators, many other coordinators, all of them that are playing in conference championship weekend this weekend, were not allowed to have another interview. So really what was interesting is, does this hire happen if Tepper gets another shot at Ben Johnson? Everybody was saying that it was a done deal, that the Lions offensive coordinator was going to be the head coach of the commanders. It was just a matter of time. But the thing that's interesting is that Tepper is so damn rich that money's always going to talk and give you a shot. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep that door open just a little bit longer. And I wondered if Ben Johnson would have done the Matt Rule thing, get the offer from the commanders, Call David Tepper, say, hey, I'm about to go to the commanders unless you want to pay me X million dollars more a year. You don't? Cool. I'm going to Washington. You do? Great. Let's talk a little further. But that's a long time to wait. Here we are, having already waited, what, most of this week. Here we are at 1227 on a Thursday. Ben Johnson's got a coach this weekend. And then I guess you'd be free the week before you get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you got the Titans already hiring Brian Callahan. An interesting conversation to be had there based off of ESPN insiders going back and forth. Looks like Carolina really did like Brian Callahan. And Tennessee did the whole, we're not letting him leave the building thing. That could have been your new head coach. Had that happened, you wouldn't have Dave Canales. And so there are opinions that you could have on this. Wes, would you rather have Canales over some of these other options that were there? And maybe you could even include Ben Johnson. Would you rather have waited to see for sure? Like, would you have rather have seen confirmation that he goes to Washington? Or are you cool with this just going ahead and hiring somebody before we wait too much? Um, Yeah, because the question was coming into the show today, was Carolina pressing their luck waiting on Ben Johnson because the word was that 
Ben Johnson was a lock to the commanders and that the Panthers were going to wait because he had only interviewed with them and nobody else. But I think that, you know, when you go back and look at it, as far as them and and what it is that they wanted to accomplish with this hire, I think that if you get a chance at Ben Johnson again, yeah, I mean, he's the top guy in the market, according to Carolina's board. We knew that that was the apple of their offer in the beginning since last year when he turned them down. And then all the reports started coming as soon as Frank Reich was released as the head coach. Everybody said Ben Johnson's the guy. And so um, I think I probably I probably would have waited to get one more conversation in with Ben Johnson to see if I could sway him, especially if I'm a guy like Tepper and I feel like my pockets can do a lot of the talking. I probably would have waited to see if I could get one more conversation with him to persuade him. Because when you're a guy of that stature, you feel like that you can be a closer. And so I would have waited to see if I could close on Johnson and steal him away. And so that would have been my plan. Yeah, I, I just think because the idea is that, oh, okay, well, we'll just have Dave waiting in the wings anyway. Like, no, Dave, <laughs> Dave, we really like you. Just hold on real quick. We're going to ask Ben Johnson if he wants this job. And if he does, great. But if not, you'll come back, right? It's not a big deal. Does it matter to Dave Canales that he's the number one choice or not? Because I'm not, even with them hiring Canales right now, I still wonder if he is technically their first choice, right? Like, I do wonder if it would still be Ben Johnson. It's just that he's not available at the moment because he's continuing to be a successful coach. Same thing with Todd Munkin. Same thing with Mike McDonald, if you wanted them too. It's just that we all knew Ben Johnson was the guy last year, and there was nothing nothing showcased this season that would have you fall off of Ben Johnson as your top candidate. No. And so that's what I wonder. But I guess I guess that's not entirely fair, though, because maybe Ben Johnson didn't show anything that would deter you from hiring him, but maybe Canales showed enough to where he surpasses him. I mean, think about it. We can go through all of these offensive situations, right? Detroit, while I think he is a tremendous X's and O's play caller, X's and O's mind, you do have good players there. At the offensive line is good. They're better than what Tampa Bay has. The quarterback, well, I know I give Jared Goff a hard time every once in a while. Clearly a really good season and is really accurate as long as the offensive line is also protecting for him. Then Jared Goff's going to pick you apart. And so that's what they were able to do. You go and you draft an Amon Ross St. Brown and you help develop him as a fourth round receiver. Also a really good player. And Ben Johnson does the most with these guys. But they even select him a weapon like Jameer Gibbs, who is balling in the postseason. And... They did a nice job of saving him, not using him a ton like a bowling ball so he'd be fresh for the postseason. But, man, he looks great right now. So they've got a lot of really good players. In Tampa, you don't have as good of a quarterback that we've seen the last couple of years. So you completely reclamated Baker Mayfield. That's a big deal. You do have great outside wide receivers. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, hell of a duo. Okay, those guys, you could argue it's the best duo in the NFL from maybe Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, whatever. I don't want to get too lost in the sauce there, but it's a great duo. And then everything else, it's good to average to mediocre, maybe even just outright bad when you're talking about the running game for so long. Yeah, Rashad White's a really good young back, though. Yeah, I like and, him a lot. And, and he is, and he came along a lot more. He came a lot along as the season went on. So I, I'm happy with this hire. I like it. I like Frank Reich, too. <laughs> once they decided on Frank Reich being that guy last year. But here's the difference. We haven't seen Dave Canales fail yet. 
we already saw Frank Reich fail mm-hmm. with the Colts. When the offensive line wasn't protecting in Indianapolis, Frank Reich was gone. Dave Canales, all we know is success from him, Wes. Which part of that is because he's behind the scenes and there's not a lot of football for you to that's so visible, a lot of the decision making that's so visible. This is the first year of that. But we can even go back further than just what we saw from Baker Mayfield this year. Geno Smith, that's another QB that nobody had any interest in him being their starting QB until he balls out the last couple of years with Seattle. But that didn't happen without Dave Canales being the QB coach there. Russell Wilson, being another small quarterback, starts balling immediately upon being drafted into the NFL. Like, we haven't seen Dave Canales be a part of a failing football team, really. I mean, think about that. If we want winning culture, then Seattle's a pretty good one to pick from. And the only year that you're in Tampa, you win a postseason game? Wes, if winning culture is still a big part of this, then I would say Dave Canales has even been a part of that for over... A decade, almost 15 years. And again, too, like I said, you have to look at where they came from. Again, nobody thought that this Tampa team, nobody thought this Tampa offense was going to do this. There were people that thought that they were going to get steamrolled going to Detroit. And when you start to dig in on this offense, you know, two things that you have to like immediately that you look at is, for one, Tampa Bay was ninth in fourth quarter points. Carolina was 25th. I mean, you got to be able to close. Closers get coffee, right? You know, I used to do sales, so, you know, sales term. Closers get coffee. Dave can add Canales coffee today. But, uh, you know, and another cool stat is their eighth. Tampa was eighth in third downs per game, right? Carolina was in that bunch in the top ten as far as you have a lot of third downs because you can't run the ball. It's hard for you to convert on first and second down into first downs. But they were sixth in third down offense in the NFL. So you're getting a crap ton of third downs per game, but you're adept at converting those. And that's doing that with an offensive line that doesn't run block that great. And they were 19th in quarterback sack percentage. But I think those are impressive stats when you talk about fourth quarter offense, third down conversions, especially being in situations, in that situation a lot. That tells me you can cook up a lot of plays that are going to help you to be able to move the chains. This is all about Bryce Young. Ian Rappaport had it in the breaking news tweet on to Bryce Young. That's how he ends his report. It's the most important thing here in Carolina. So you had to go out and get your quote-unquote QB whisperer. Bryce Young needs to be reclamated a little bit right now. I mean, maybe that's not the fairest of titles to put on him, but we have one year and it wasn't good. There's a lot that needs to be fixed here in Carolina. Wide receivers need to be a lot better. Adam Thielen was your only guy last season, and he's over 30. Jonathan Mingo needs to continue to grow. You finally, you need a tight end post-Greg Olson era, a position that we have not been able to find. The offensive line is more important, I would say, than even the wide receivers, especially interior pass protection, where you had a bunch of injuries, And then when guys would step in, they couldn't block because they would get fooled by simple stunts. Can Icky be your left tackle? There's a lot of things to figure out. But the number one thing you need to figure out is if Bryce Young can be that franchise quarterback. So what is the Carolina Panthers? What do they decide to do? What is David Tepper, Dan Morgan? What do they think is in their best interest? They go get a guy that has been a part of creating Geno Smith into a 4,200-yard passer. 
They go get the guy that allowed Baker Mayfield to throw for over 4,000 yards, 28 passing touchdowns, and give you a 7.1 yards per attempt. Actually throwing the ball downfield. They allow play action to be a part of the scheme. They allow that running game, while pretty terrible, you guys want to stick with it, you don't even lose a sense of identity with this hire. Because he likes running the football. And even if he wasn't good at it, think about the offensive line that he was working with in Seattle. That Seattle offensive line has been criticized their whole run. Like, it was by far the biggest weakness, even when they were winning. Legion of Boom days. Offensive line won good. Marshawn Lynch just being a Mack truck out there running you over and over and over and over again. The offensive line was terrible. But they found ways. Because Dave Canales has been a part of that. I like picking that fruit from the tree. I'm with it, Wes. It was a bad year. It could not have gone any worse. I really don't think so. Realistically, don't think it could have gone any worse. David Tepper, I hope you don't throw any drinks at the fans next year. I hope that you're going to be better tempered, if you will. But I do like this decision made. Bringing Dan Morgan in, we'll see. And bringing in Dave Canales, now we got a lot more work to do. But I do like the start to this offseason. Uh, I think Trey from downtown, he had a nice sex saying, could the perception of this being a Dan Morgan hire rather than the guy Tepper really wanted to be what the organization needed to change the overbearing owner narrative. So I think that'll be something that we can delve in uh, on the other side or get into a, a little bit right now, just saying, do we think that this was a Dan Morgan hire? Because we know the relationship that those two had. Yes, I do. I think Dan Morgan, probably that connection did help. I mean, that was in part as to why we thought Dan Can- uh, Dave Canales would have been a good hire. Like, that's why we had him as the favorite. It, it felt like yesterday we could break that news. We started yesterday's show with, I don't know, we got to have that breaking news sounder ready. Now, I didn't know it was going to happen at 12 and, you know, 12 o'clock with 30 seconds having gone by. What was it, like 12.05, not even, that we broke it? Hell, we were talking about what was your worst text that you sent to somebody. (laughs) And so then we had to quickly transition. But, yeah, it always made sense once Dan Morgan was going to be that guy. And if Dan Morgan was a part of the hiring process, having interviews with a bunch of these different candidates, then, yeah, somebody that he's worked with before, I I do think that – it, it makes sense, at least on the surface, until we start to get more information on everything. It does make sense on the surface that this would be more of a Dan Morgan hire rather than a David Tepper hire. Like people saying Dan Morgan is this yes man. I, what evidence do we have of that here? If anything, the only connection that you have is with these two guys spending eight years together in Seattle. They came in at the same time with that Seahawks organization until Dan left for Buffalo. Also, speaking of the culture stuff, like Buffalo has built a winning culture up there too. I, look, David Tepper, I'm not telling you he's earned the benefit of the doubt. That hasn't happened whatsoever. And I'm not going to try to do that to you, try to sell you on, hey, Tepper, he's always made the right decision. So let's trust them now. But what I'm telling you, if we were to just grade both of these moves in a vacuum, Dan Morgan's a lot harder to sell you on, at least with what he did the last couple of years alongside Scott Fitterer. But there is a really long timeline with him having been a part of successful organizations before. And with Dave Canales, the only thing we really know is working with successful units. Yeah, it's all we know. 
So that's all we can go off of. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. All right, let's do this, man. Let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Bring in our guy, America's long snapper, the Iron Man of the Carolina Panthers, J.J. Jansen. J.J., Happy New Year, baby. What's going on? Happy New Year, guys. Thank you for having me. I mean, we're we're about a full month into the year, so I think it's a little late to do Happy New Year, but <laughs> it'll be weird for two men to wish each other a happy Valentine's Day, so let's go with it. I knew I knew <laughs> he's the first one. I knew I knew he'd be the first we were trying to see JJ how long Mac can wish guests Happy New Year until someone called him out on it. <laughs> we J- thought, could he get to like February? I thought I could get to February, but Jansen. I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that JJ was going to be the one to tear this thing apart. But he's a recurring guest, so he's like, why? You've talked to me, you know, three, four times since the new year. Yeah. So let's, we I'm just gonna, got Joel Berry. He said Happy New Year, too. Yeah, I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to keep right. it up. But JJ, right, JJ congratulations, right. baby. You kept it real and told us it's ridiculous to still be saying Happy New Year. <laughs> All the other guests just go along with it. Like, it's normal yeah. all right um let's get right into the juicy stuff man the uh the play in the chiefs game brought out an old debate and it's not i don't even think it's i mean it's a debate but it feels like it's 80 percent of everybody who follows football believes that that rule where the, that 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 hurt the chiefs where the fumble goes out through the end zone and it's a touchback and the other team gets it at the 20 feels like 80 percent think this is one of the worst rules in sports and i've just never been that bothered by it personally what do you think? Do you think it's a rule that has to go away? It definitely sounds like the NFL competition committee is close to making a change. Yeah, I, I, I don't like the rule. Um, I, I've said for a number of years, I did an interview, and I, I, I was one of those, hey, this is the worst rule in football. Um, I put it up there with the uh, underthrown PI uh, spot foul, you know, 45 yards down the field. It just feels a little bit overkill. I, I don't think it necessarily um, – uh, I don't think it necessarily needs to be, hey, just put the ball back at the one-yard line. I think there should be a penalty. That is the defense's area of the field. And so uh, I could, I wouldn't mind seeing like a, a reverse touchback or something. You know, it's, you know, that play happens on first down. It's now second down at the 20, and it's goal to go. Like there should be some kind of penalty for just losing the ball in the end zone. But uh, I, don't, I don't love it. That being said, like I've sat in – team meetings for 15 years with coaches say do not reach the ball out over the goal line yes. do not reach the ball out over the goal line in the very rare you know we had a play this year in detroit where sealand reached it out but it was fourth down there's nothing to lose that's the that's the one time you do it yeah. so it still blows my mind that guys continue to reach the ball out over the goal line 
Um, you know, Coach Rule, when he was here, we, we were adamant about it, including like going to five points of pressure on the ball. If you watch Christian McCaffrey, every single time he runs across the end zone, he, he crosses his second arm because the defense is going for the ball. Yeah. So even if Christian's on a 75-yard run, he covers up his, across the goal line because he knows that's the defense's last chance. And um, it just blows my mind the guy still reached the ball out if it's not fourth down. JJ, my thing has been this. Even if the the defense gets possession on the fumble, there's a possession part of this, but there's the other side where the defense doesn't actually recover the fumble, and then they get the ball at the 20. Like that shouldn't that be adjusted at least that if the defense is getting the ball, shouldn't it go to the the one or the five? Do they have to get the ball at the twenty yard line? That seems a little excessive. They get possession yeah. and plus twenty yards. The end zone is a special place, and um, most everything that goes in there is is touchbacks or touchdowns, right? Obviously, yeah. you have the safeties, so that's a little bit unique. Again, I I don't necessarily think it's in anyone's best interest to have less scoring in football, so I'm not. As much as the defensive guys probably hate it, like I'm not necessarily saying, hey, the defense should just be able to turn the ball over. But I do think that there should be a penalty because, or, or not a penalty, but some sort of d- deterrent to the offense. Because again, I'd say half of those plays, guys just fumble the ball into the end zone. Yeah. And half the time, the defense is making a good play on the ball. They're punching at or whatever. And so I do think that there should be some sort of deterrent. But um, again, I think more scoring is good for everybody, so I don't necessarily want to see the ball turned over. But uh, yeah, I, I still don't think it's a very good rule. Yeah, I just I, I'm with you though. It's like protect the ball. That is the that is the primo spot on the football field. We, we, there's a reason why we keep red zone stats. Once you get down there near the goal line, you got to perform on offense. You got to make a play. And if the defense makes a play and strips it from you, and Bone says, "Well, they didn't get the recovery," but they but a lot of times they forced it. You know, they made a play there. So anyway, I just I think it's going to get changed, though. The talk, you know, from the league insiders seem to be that they're going to do something. I've just never been bothered by it. Um, Now, let me give you something else, JJ, that I see a lot of backlash towards. And this is a this is a trend in the radio show. (laughs) Other than that, I'm afraid to ask JJ about that. People, happy Happy New Year on January 26th. That will that will. Um, God, he snuffed it. Wait till we're still doing it in March, Bone. That's going to go over well. All right. um, um, here it is. This trend towards going for two. We saw Tampa do it. Um, you know, say fourth quarter of a game, you're down two touchdowns. You score a touchdown, you cut it to eight, and then you're seeing more and more teams go for two. Mina Kimes said it was up over 30% this year. It's clearly yep. an analytics math-based thing. I understand the math, and I don't get that angry about it. But I listen to Michael Wilbon on PTI scream about this. Like, <laughs> the, like the world is going to come to an end if people keep doing this. Do you understand the logic of it? Do you question it? What do you, what do you think about nope. that? No, no. I mean, look, here, here's the easiest way to look at it, guys. You're down 14. Almost every team in the league is not going to win a game down 14 in the fourth quarter. Pure and simple. So let's start with that. Yeah. Second of all, when you... If you are down 14 in the fourth quarter, there is an overwhelming likelihood that you are the worst team in that game at the minimum. The longer the game goes, it benefits the better team. So if you're down 14 to begin with and you get it to eight, you should not want the game to keep going into overtime because typically the better team will win. So you should try to end the game in regulation. The advantage of going for two first, as has now been well-documented, is if you convert and you go to six, you now win the game with a PAT. 
ending the game in regulation. That should be the goal of a team losing in the fourth quarter. Of course, if you miss it, it goes to eight, and you still have an opportunity to tie with a two-point conversion. But the, the advantage of going for two, let's, let's say with five minutes left in the game, is it's a 50-50 proposition, give or take. Even if Let's imagine you said that overtime is a 50-50 proposition. Wouldn't you like to know the result of overtime before you got there? Like, if you knew you were going to lose in overtime, you'd, of course, try to win at regulation. Yes. Yeah, you would. The advantage of going for two is the same benefit. You essentially can find out if you're going to lose in overtime, not in reality, but by the math, in regulation, and that will actually teach you how to play the remainder of the game. And so, like, let's say Tampa goes down, kicks a PAT, yeah. gets the ball back, goes down, kicks another PAT. They're, they're not more likely to win. They're tied, but then they're kicking the ball off to the Lions, which means the Lions have a chance to go win in regulation, and they're the better team at home, so they have a better chance to win in overtime. Yeah. So what they did there was absolutely correct, and you're going to see more and more teams do it as people get more and more comfortable with the idea that a coach won't catch backlash for going for two and missing. It happened twice this year where the team went for two, converted, and won the game. Tennessee did it on Monday night in Miami, and New Orleans did it uh, the week after they played us. I think it was week three in Green Bay. Winning the game because they did it. Both times on the road when they're they're probably the inferior, inferior team that day. Yeah, JJ is. I, so, I, I'm with you on that one. I'm JJ is so smart with this stuff; he gives me brain freeze. <laughs> I feel like you, I he just, lost I, your bone. I just ate some cookie dough ice cream. And it's JJ. No, no, it, it makes sense. But I'm lost, and he's he's so good at talking about it. I'm just lost, and my brain started freezing. <laughs> JJ, well, I'm not going to ask you. If it happens you if, this week, and you get confused, you just have to say, "I don't have to know the math." JJ said this was the good, the right thing to do, and that'll that'll clear stuff up for you. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, the texters, I'm going to say, JJ, are not thinking JJ said so, so it's the right thing. The texters are <laughs> battling back. One guy accused you of ju- of having a long snapper agenda and just want <laughs> just wanting more scores so you get to long snap more. Well, well, in my, <laughs> that's obviously a ridiculous case because in that scenario, I'm probably on the field less. So, uh, I, I, no, am, for the I first one, the fumble which, one, they say you want the offensive oh, team the to be able to keep scoring so you can get out there and snap, you know? Yeah, I, I, again, there's two sides of the coin. Like, we've punched balls out the goal line. We've lost balls at the goal line. Like, it works both ways. You are but. right, though. The other, the second debate we talked about, this would take you off the field. So, take me off the field. Yeah. Unless they want to, you know, unless they want to run a two point play to me. I mean, I am available to play on offense. I hope the new coach uh, no embraces has, that. No one has asked me to do that yet, but I am available. <laughs> Maybe the new staff. JJ, I'm not going to ask you if you, uh, if you like the hiring of Dan Morgan. That would not be the proper way to ask it. But in terms of Dan Morgan, the person, how happy are you? Uh, former player, great dude. How happy are you that he has the opportunity here of making decisions uh, as the man in charge of the Panthers? Yeah, as someone that's been here now for the last couple of years, I mean, he's he's been instrumental, you know, with us, you know, bringing in players. Obviously, we haven't had the success on the field that's, that's required, and obviously that's why we're going through this whole process of getting a new GM and new coach. But, I mean, I think Dan is a really impressive person. He's got a great eye for talent. He's really good with the players in terms of making connections and bonds. Obviously, football is a tough business, and there's a lot of tough interpersonal things that have to happen. And I think Dan's got the right blend of, Football mind, tough and strong in his opinions, but also like good at 
building relationships with the players because that stuff is essential. Good communicator, um, really important with, with players and coaches. And I think what you're going to see from Dan is an opportunity um, to really sort of bridge the gap between you know the, the players, the coaches, and what the front office is trying to do in terms of the talent that's brought in. We've talked about it. I think it was last week we talked about it. I think one of the struggles that teams have when they're kind of going through this churn is you're trying to marry the players' talents, strengths, and weaknesses to the scheme. And I think having a former player who's very comfortable in that role of understanding what's going on, plus the talent evaluator, well, I think will be a better opportunity to sort of pull everybody together and say, hey, here's the strengths and weaknesses. Coach, what do you need? Here's what I'm giving you. Let's piece this thing all together. Every team plays the game a little bit differently. Um, Baltimore, for years, played the game differently than Kansas City, and now we'll see the two in the AFC Championship game. So you just have to have the right marriage of players and scheme. I think Dan brings a tremendous uh, insight to mm. that world. JJ, we have, we have people mad at JJ on the text line, right? The the uh, oh, no. the, the uh, anti-analytic crowd. Some somebody just called JJ not a football guy. He's just a nerd. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, that that's not an insult. That is a huge, huge compliment. So I'm super appreciative of that. The second of all thing I always find with his analytics is people used to punt on third down. Does any does the anti-analytic crew? think we should punt more on third i'd love to punt on third down i don't think that's smart but like do we think we should go back to punting on third down yeah, sometimes you can just, use math we just run the ball to progress run the ball you know? 55 yeah. times a game because that's what we used to do yeah. i i think as the game and the rules change analytics is just statistics and it's giving you insight on how to better win i guarantee you we could have this conversation in 10 years and we will have moved to, to a different, different area yeah. because the rules will have changed and what you're allowed to do and not do and what's easy and hard will have changed. That's so a good point. That's, that's, not, that's all this is. This is just trying to be a little bit forward thinking in terms of how do the evolve. rules allow yeah. you to play? No, evolve. If, I like, if the two-point like. conversion was at the seven-yard line, none of this would make sense. No, right. no, absolutely. There were years rules. when I wanted the Jets to punt on first down. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, J.J., multiple people saying J.J. should be the head coach of this football team. So, it's, so it has been polarizing, your analytics take. The best text, though, is this guy. Uh-oh. Uh, can you please ask J.J. about Dan Morgan's 25-tackle Super Bowl performance in 2003? I know J.J. was his team. Teammate was was there watching that performance. I don't know if this guy's being serious or not, JJ, but that's funny. I was not. I was not there. I was. Uh, I, I was only a few years away, though. Um, you miss Morgan. We'll ever, you miss Morgan by like ahead. two years. Two years, right? Didn't you? I, I don't know that we'll ever see a twenty-five tackle play in the Super Bowl. The way the game again, the game's changed. Yeah. Right? The game's totally changed. It's gone more spread out. There's tackles distributed all across the the field. I don't know if you'll ever see a twenty-five tackle game in the Super Bowl again. Again, that's. That's the. That's ridiculous. Thing. That was one of the all-time great Super Bowls, and he had one of the all-time great performances. He did. Um, he did. So. Even a better performance than Justin Timberlake had that day, and we will uh, leave it at that. We will leave it at that. He is your long snapper. He is America's long snapper, JJ Jansen. Uh, we can't stop talking to JJ, man. We got to get you in studio one of these weeks, man. Do like a couple hey. segments or something. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go next week. I, I I got a little bit of free time coming up here, so okay. All right. Um, we'll our schedule. We're free. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys will, you guys will be on the air. So uh, I'll be I'll be available, and uh, maybe we can get together, and I can catch more hate for my uh, analytics thing. <laughs> He's a nerd. Dang it! All right, hey, he's a football guy. You the man, JJ. Thank you, brother.
Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. We welcome in the man whose name belongs on the top of this radio show. Man who's once again blessed uh, with his wife Camille to be the third time as parents. Uh, reason he is uh, there and I'm here is uh, that they now welcomed in Brooke Bailey yesterday at 8.15 in the morning. We say congratulations to Kyle Bailey. He joins us on Sports Radio 97 WFNZ. What's going on Kyle? How are you pal? What's up brother? How are you? How are you? I'm good. Congratulations again. Uh, w- what does it feel like to uh, once again be blessed to be a girl dad? It's pretty awesome. Not going to lie. Uh, I think anybody who's been a parent knows the feeling it, uh, you know, if you've been through it, you understand it. Uh, if you don't, you still get it. Um, you know, new life entered the world yesterday. My wife was a superhero again, and, and I got two girls. I didn't have any sisters growing up, and now I have two daughters. So I think I'm in for the ride of my life, and uh, me and my son are probably going to be uh, sneaking away to fish quite a bit over the next several years. So it's good. Everybody's good. We got uh, grandparents in town that are helping us out, and uh, it was uh, it was a welcome distraction, I should say, to get the news earlier today that it looks like Carolina's doing something. I don't, I, I know it's not official yet, but it looks like they're doing something. So yeah, it's good to be back. I, I wanted to at least sneak in see how you guys were doing and see how, see how everybody feels about Dave Canales because it's kind of been trending this way for the last couple of days, huh? It certainly has been. The, the thing that I keep coming back to is the, the hire of Dan Morgan certainly kind of centered around uh, the relationship with Canales going back to their time in Seattle. The one thing that was always the issue to me, Kyle, with this team and, and with the organization the past couple of years is a misaligned philosophy. I think you had uh, a little bit of an off-kilter scenario with Herney and Rule here when they both were in the same organization. Then Fitter was kind of brought in with a shotgun marriage involving uh, Rule at that point. I know that they all kind of seem to have the backing of hiring Frank Reich, but that went to heck in a handbasket pretty quick. Here now, at least, there's a pretty existing relationship and at least something in terms of a somewhat course heading that feels somewhat all on the same page. Yeah, look, I don't think this is bad. I'm also not going to celebrate it either because I don't know if this is going to work. There's a lot. I think if we're being honest and if you're just approaching this from a fair perspective, what do we know about Dave Canales? What do we think? Um, Here's the baseline good stuff, right? Um, you know, he was in Seattle for some really good football teams, part of some really good football teams. He was the he came up in the wide receiver room with guys like uh, Jermaine Curse and Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin, uh, quarterbacks coach for two straight Russell Wilson Pro Bowl years. He was the passing game coordinator uh, in what was Russell Wilson's probably best season in Seattle. Quarterbacks coach for Geno Smith last year, winning comeback player of the year. And now Baker Mayfield this year in that offense was the offense this year, the greatest show on turf statistically. No. 
but it was good, and they had an identity, and uh, I thought he maximized those guys. And then you listen to Mike Evans talk about him, um, on top of Baker Mayfield, of course, but Mike Evans. Greg Olson spent a little bit of time with him in Seattle, big fan as well. So I, I think that in my mind with Dave Canales, he comes in and ideally gets the quarterback right. I think he's going to be good for these wide receivers, whichever are you know returning and whichever will be here. But I, I think the offense you know, theoretically anyway, will be better under Dave Canales. You, you hope. But beyond that, as you know, and I'm sure you've talked about, we don't know if he can lead an NFL locker room. We, we right. don't know if he can comprehensively pilot this ship and, and, you know, cover all three phases, coach the coaches, deal with the politics, and report to the owner, have a good relationship with it. Like, he's got a relationship with Dan Morgan, but they're going to work, work together for the first time now. So there's a lot of unknown here. I like his personality. The boot salesman story stuff is endearing and, you know, it's fun, but, you know, humble beginnings, I, I think oftentimes are a sign of someone who's really worked to get where they are. So that's great. And then, you know, on top of that, I think he's a really spiritual guy. You look at his background and, you know, I, I think that could be good for a locker room too. So it, it's TBD. I, I've been saying this for months now, Smoke can attest to it, that whoever they hire was just going to get kind of a sit back, wait and see approach from me because somebody's just got to come in here and win football games it may be dave canales it it may not but i'm not down on this one like some people are and i'm not going to throw a parade for him either well i think we all have kind of learned our lesson in terms of overly reacting to coaching hires from what happened last year because i think we looked at what happened with frank reich and the subsequent move that took place afterwards and thought oh my goodness this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and, and turned out it ended up being a combustible scenario just based on the fact that you brought in so many guys who were somewhat different how much do you feel feel like at least the different approach it seems to at least come from a, con- a commonality standpoint H- how much do you feel like this at least might be a much better direction for the Patriots to go in because I don't think the directive is going to be hey by the way hire people from outside your circle I feel like they're going to want to try to keep this one somewhat close to the vest in terms of people who either Canales and Morgan both know or at least have worked with in the past yeah I, I mean I think we're already seeing as you said a minute ago that they're, they're going to look to some of Pete Carroll's old staff in Seattle. So I, I think there's going to be familiarity on this staff. You mentioned Tom Cable already. They, they experimented last year with, hey, let's go out and hire all the impressive, let's bring in all the impressive resumes that we can. Surely something good has to come out of it. So they're not going in that direction. But here's the flip side of that, though. And for those that are concerned about it, um, yeah, they, it, that sounds good. Let him be the tip of the spear. Let Dave Canales be the leading voice and all that. But he is only 42. I mean, I, I don't know. If it, does he have the chops to put together the, the staff that they need? We're going to find out. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I think you're going to see them go a bit more in that direction. But with a young, unproven coach that, let's be real, nobody else was really interviewing, mm-hmm. what kind of staff is he going to put together? I, I'm anxious to find out myself. Yeah, that's the thing that I think we were trying to figure this out beforehand. We couldn't remember if anybody else interviewed Reich. This will be the second consecutive offseason. The Panthers have hired a head coach that they were the only person to talk to or only team to talk to. So that's a little bit concerning. Uh, the other part, and I know you talked about this involving Dan Morgan, but it does seem like this move almost makes it feel like that the buck will stop with Morgan in terms of him being the face and the voice of the football operation. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that uh, the hire being Canales means this has Dan Morgan's influence all over it? Um, I, look, you got to give some guy. We, we've been asking for the general manager to quote unquote get out of the way, let football people do football things, and see what happens. Well, Dan Morgan is a football guy. He's the epitome of a football guy. Uh, seven years with the Panthers, Miami guy. 
Um, had 25 tackles in a game. Like, there's no square jawline, football name, all of it, right? So you've got your football guy in your general manager chair now, which is what a lot of you wanted. And you wanted autonomy. You, you wanted that football guy to make football decisions. Well, that football guy hired one of his football guy buddies, Dave Canales. So you got to trust that that's the process. That's what this is. That's all any fan can really do at the end of the day uh, because you have no control. But, yes, this is, I, I think, the owner saying, hey, go get your guy. Do what you want to do. Do it this way. Because these are people, that they're going still at this from we have to develop Bryce Young. You know, Dan Morgan in on Bryce Young. Let's go get a coach that's going to maximize Bryce Young. Now, there's an argument to be had about hiring a coach to come in and babysit the quarterback versus, you know, hiring a quote-unquote leader of men who could just coach football. And I get that. But I also think that if they get this quarterback back up to speed and playing a lot better, we'll see a lot better football right away. So this is what we're watching. We're watching a general manager um, who's tasked with getting this team right, figuring out the, the potential of the quarterback and bringing it out. And so he's hired a coach to do that. And we're going to see if Dave Canales can do with Bryce Young what he did with Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield and to a, a, an extent Russell Wilson before that. KB joining us here as a break from maternity leave. One more and I'll let you go. Uh any reaction to the news we we got just before you got on the air about Raheem Morris going to Atlanta? Yeah, I see. that's interesting, right? Um, Raheem Morris feels like he's been around a very long time, and and I guess he has. Um, he was the interim head coach down there, as I heard you mention a couple of minutes ago. Uh, he knows this division inside and out. Uh, there's something to be said for experience and learning from one's mistakes, and uh, that's certainly you know been the case with him, I'm sure. And he's been a part of winning football out in Los Angeles, got himself a ring. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to uh, discount hiring Raheem Morris. They still need a quarterback, though. Mm -hmm. And we have to find out who they hire as their OC. Maybe Raheem Morris is the right guy for that job. But um, TBD until they figure out their quarterback spot and, and hire an offensive coordinator. I'm not, it's not one that worries you until they give you a reason to worry about it, if you know what I mean. With sports gambling uh, coming into play on March the 11th, I've asked the odds makers to hold off on setting the odds of next WFNZ baby until then. So, <laughs> well, uh, just because we, we might have something to say about that, who knows? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. What, no, number four is not anywhere in the near future. I can assure you of that. We have three under three, uh, which some people think is um, you know absolute insanity. Uh, there's no doubt that it is. My wife is still in the hospital recovering right now, and so we're going to bring the, the baby home to an absolute circus tomorrow, and that's going to be life for the next several years. But this is what we signed up for. I'm in for it. And I appreciate everybody out there, all the FNZ listeners that have reached out, sent messages, well wishes, and things like that. And uh, shout-out to Carla Gebhardt and the QC News crew last night who uh, did a very nice special tribute to the, the baby. So appreciate everybody, love everybody, and uh, looking forward to getting back in the saddle soon. And we'll keep the seat warm for you as long as you need it, pal. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.